Hello, and welcome to another deep dive episode of the Total Space Network. Have you ever wondered why SpaceX sometimes launches from the West Coast instead of the East Coast? Do you know the difference between sun-synchronous orbit and polar orbit? Well, today we are taking a deep dive into different satellite orbits and why the different launch sites matter. I'm Mikko, your regular host here. This time I'm trying something different doing the episode without co-hosts. So let me know how it goes. Let's get started with the orbits. First, what are satellite orbits? To get into and stay on an orbit, you need enough speed to counteract the gravity. When orbit is reached, you are basically falling down to Earth, but going so fast that you never actually fall. If you don't have speed, that would be called suborbital and means hitting the Earth. Orbits can be prograde, where the orbit goes the same way as Earth rotates, or retrograde, where it rotates counter to the Earth's rotation. Most orbits are prograde, since launching a rocket prograde will give you a boost from Earth's rotation. However, there are some exceptions, like Israel, who can only launch retrograde. But that is a question about launch sites for later. Orbits also have an inclination. Inclination is in reference to the equatorial plane, which is zero. So an equatorial orbit has a zero degree inclination, and a polar orbit would have an inclination of around 90 degrees, while most launches are something in between. Let's go over the different kinds of orbits. Let's start from the closest to us, which would be low Earth orbit or LEO. The orbit height can be up to 2000 kilometers. For example, Starlink satellites are located at 550 kilometers, and International Space Station orbits at around 400 kilometers. Lowest LEO orbits can also be called very low Earth orbit or VLEO. LEO orbits are usually circular and take about 90 minutes to orbit the Earth. Next up is medium Earth orbit, MEO. This is anything from 2000 kilometers up to over 35000 kilometers. But most MEO satellites orbit around 20000 kilometers with an orbital period of about 12 hours. For example, you can find GPS satellites there. And like LEO orbits, MEO orbits are usually circular. Then we have geostationary orbit or GEO. This orbit is at 35,786 kilometers, since that is the exact height where satellite orbits Earth every 24 hours. This means that if you look up the sky, geosatellites seem stationary. This is where most of the communication and television satellites are located. There is also high Earth orbit, which is very rarely used, but it's everything up from the geo-orbit. Since direct insertion to geo-orbits requires a lot of performance, there are transfer orbits as well. Uh, transfer orbits are used more often since they don't need as much performance. 
negative side of this is that the satellite has to circularize the orbit rather than the launch provider. Most common of these orbits is GTO or geostationary transfer orbit. And almost all satellites going up to GEO use this. A GTO is an orbit where the highest point is usually at the target orbit at around 35,786 kilometers, while the lowest point is close to Earth around a couple of hundred kilometers. And for direct geo insertion, I think ULA has actually done it, and maybe Falcon Heavy could also do it. Then we have polar orbits that go over the poles of Earth. Polar orbits are often used for Earth mapping, Earth observation, capturing the Earth as time passes from one point, reconnaissance satellites, as well as some weather satellites. Another popular orbit is sun-synchronous orbit. It is a near-polar orbit, meaning that each successive orbital pass occurs at the same local time of day. This can be particularly important for applications such as remote sensing, atmospheric temperature or imaging the same place at the same time daily. Last but not least, we have a Molnia orbit. It is a highly elliptical orbit for polar communication satellites. This means that the satellite can be seen for most of the orbital period, and when it comes closer to Earth, it will orbit quickly back to where it can be seen. Now that we know many of the popular orbits, we can start talking about the launch sites and what orbits can they provide. But first, if you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get access to our Discord server, early access to episodes, and even listen and ask questions live when we record. Check us out at patreon.com slash totalspace. Now back to the show. Let's take a look at what a proper launch site needs. It has to be away from heavily populated areas, since launching rockets cause noise, a lot of noise, and that can break windows. More importantly, you need some direction to launch the rockets, and you need a lot of unpopulated area in that direction. So an ocean or a big patch of land would do the trick. And you never should launch over populated areas since rockets can explode on the way, or drop stages like most rockets still do. Some debris filled with possibly toxic fuel falling from the sky could definitely kill you. As we learned from the orbits, satellites going to LEO, MEO or GEO orbits should be launched prograde to get the free performance that from Earth's spin. In the United States, perfect place for that is the East Coast. You get the prograde orbit as well as you can launch over the ocean, so no one will get harmed. <laughs> On the east coast, the most famous place to launch rockets is of course Cape Canaveral, where you can find a bunch of launch pads for different companies. There is ULA, Blue Origin, NASA, SpaceX. For example, SpaceX has two launch pads there. First, the historic launch pad 39A, which is in the Kennedy Space Center area. This is where SpaceX launched the first humans on their Crew Dragon vehicle 
as well as four out of seven current occupants on the International Space Station. SpaceX also has a launch pad, SLC-40 or SLIC-40, at the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. These two launch pads are close to each other, and the biggest differences are that 39A can launch and support Falcon Heavy rockets, and it has the crew access arm for boarding the Dragon capsules. So, equatorial orbits from Cape Canaveral can be done easily and safely. But how about polar orbits? Well, you would need to launch straight north or south. In the north, there are heavily populated areas, so that is a no-go. How about south? Well, there's Cuba. And there's also a funny story. Last time a rocket launched south from Cape Canaveral was in 1969. The launches were stopped because a rocket exploded raining debris over Cuba, and that killed a cow. So the launches were stopped due to political tensions. And finally, after 50 years, this launch corridor has been opened again, but only for SpaceX. They also have to do a dogleg maneuver to avoid land. The reason why only SpaceX can do it is their autonomous flight termination system, which can destroy the rocket without human interaction, if it's going outside the allowed range. The only other launch provider having autonomous flight termination capability is Rocket Lab. But since they don't launch from Cape, but from New Zealand or soon from another East Coast launch site, Wallops, ULA's new Vulcan rocket is supposed to have the autonomous flight termination system as well. But until they have demonstrated that, the place to launch polar orbits in the States is Vandenberg Air Force Base. This launch site only launches satellites to polar orbits since it has a clear view to south over the ocean. So most polar payloads have been and will be launched from there. The exception maybe being SpaceX in future. But even SpaceX launches payloads from Vandenberg they have a launch pad SLC-4E or SLIC-4E, and SpaceX actually just launched Sentinel-6 satellite from there, as NASA probably wanted to use that launch pad instead of the Cape Canaveral polar corridor. What's interesting about this, SpaceX had about a year between the two latest Vandenberg launches, and yet they still launched the satellite on the first try like it was nothing. No ground support equipment failures or anything really, just a smooth launch. And finally, just to mention a few other launch sites around the world, European Space Agency launches Ariane rockets from Guyana Space Center in Kourou, French Guyana, which is located near the equator, giving yet an extra boost to the launches to east over ocean. The Guyana Space Center also has an open ocean to the north, so polar launches can be done. Another famous launch site is Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, which is leased to Russia. It is also the world's first spaceport for orbital and human launches. Baikonur is a huge piece of land, around 90 kilometers by 85 kilometers across, 
and this gives them the advantage to launch to many different orbits from there while keeping populated areas safe even though the range is land instead of an ocean. Last but not least, we have Rocket Lab's launch site in Mahia, New Zealand. This is possibly the most beautiful launch site there is, and they can do many different orbits from there, including sun-synchronous orbit. That's all I got for you today. Hope you learned something new. How did you like the episode without co-hosts? If you are watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, otherwise tweet me your opinion. Link to my Twitter account is in the description. Also, don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com totalspace if you want to support what we do. And last but not least, remember to subscribe and like our content. This helps other people find it too. I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. Have a great day.